0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on a beautiful day here in D.C. Before we start the show, we just want to send best wishes out to anybody who has been affected by the COVID pandemic, your business, your family, your personal health. This is a tough time, but we're all going to get through it. And one of the ways we're going to help you get through it is with a great show today. Uh, This morning, we're going to be joined by Sid Dalwari. He's the master distiller at D.C.'s Filibuster Distillery. And we're going to hear about surviving and prospering during the uh, pandemic. Also joining us is Stephanie Coppola, who's Director of Marketing and Communications for the Bethesda Urban Partnership. Uh, the partnership had to cancel um, uh, their Restaurant Week in Bethesda. They've come up with something new called Savor Bethesda Week. And uh, we'll talk about how Bethesda has responded to the pandemic. Connie McDonald and Pam Weeks are co-founders of Manhattan's famous Laval Bakery um, they've got eight locations. Their first outside of New York is in Georgetown, and we have sampled the good. And I just came off my sugar high about five minutes ago. They're
1: delicious. And they are pretty
0: darn good. And Tea Drunk is known globally for having very fine, high-quality, prized teas from China. Uh, no two batches are the same, and some of these their tea leaves come from tea trees that are 200 to 600 years old. So we're going to have the founder on with us, Shunan Tang, um, and she's also going to be uh, presenting a. a a TED session shortly on air, so you're going to hear about the history of tea and what she'll be doing on air with TED. So before we get into that part of the show, we're joined today by Sandra Miller, who is a livestock, far- livestock farmer uh, from Painted Hand Farm up in Pennsylvania, and she's on for uh, Central Farm Markets to tell us what's going on at the market, and I'm sure she knows because she's one of the original vendors.
1: Hi, how are you this morning? I am wonderful. Thank you very much. Well, so as a livestock farmer, I'd love to, as we get into the fall, what is the seasonality of livestock?
2: Yeah, well, that's a lot of things people don't understand. It There really is a seasonality. And right now, you're going to see a lot of your pastured poultry wind down as the season gets colder because chickens kept outdoors. You can either feed them to grow or feed them to stay warm. So, your access to truly pastured meat birds, your broilers, your roasters, um, they're going to start going away. Your turkeys are about the last uh, gasp of the pastured poultry season. We just, we just saw
1: we just saw live turkey, well, like wild, wild turkeys, turkeys like.
0: We were driving down 270. We saw wild turkeys. Just
2: like hanging out.
0: (laughs) It was weird. Yeah, because you know what? They knew you were looking for them.
2: Amazing. Um, I don't raise turkeys anymore, Mm -hmm. but I do keep one. um, I I actually had two, but the foxes got one. I had uh, Florissa and Jennifer in a a, a nod to the two fat ladies, but Mm -hmm. uh, they're like dogs. They follow you around. They talk to you.
1: Okay, that makes me sad with Thanksgiving coming. Let's not do- go there. Uh, okay, so <laughs> let's talk about what you're bringing to market and what's happening at market, um, the Central Farm markets uh, this coming week.
2: Well, this coming week... Um, uh there will be, of course, some chickens. Right now, uh, the, the veal is starting to be harvested. They've been on their mothers all summer long. Yeah. It's, it's time to go. Um, you only need one male, and a lot of that is artificial insemination now. Uh, people don't realize just how dangerous um, big cows can be. Sure. And especially the males. So, you know, I know veal has been a four letter word for a long time. And uh-huh. It's the last sustainable meat to come to the table. But uh, if you are buying your milk or your cheese or your yogurts or anything like that from a small dairy and they offer humanely raised rose veal, you should be buying that because that really helps keep uh, those farms viable and sustainable.
1: Interesting. That's fascinating. And what's happening, um, obviously, we're going to have to bring you back in in a larger capacity, but we only have about a minute left. What uh, What do we got going on uh, at, the markets. at the actual markets this weekend?
2: Oh, uh, right now, it's one of my favorite seasons. The apples are coming in. Mm. The pears are coming in. You're going to have great ciders. Um, you're, you're all sorts of squashes. You're going to see acorn squashes cupboards, uh, neck pumpkins, all the wonderful winter squashes that are great for roasting. Sandra, don't say winter
1: yet. We just got fall. Go don't
0: Sandra,
2: say winter. I'm so
0: bummed out about the turkeys that follow you around. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, Sandra, tell us where we can find all the Central Farm Markets.
2: It's on Sunday mornings at Old Georgetown and Arlington in the parking lot of the elementary school. They're uh-huh. open from 9 to 1.30, and there a lot of vendors offer curbside. You can order online. You can walk up and pick up your orders. You can drive your car up and pick up pre-orders, or you can shop at the market. But uh, we do practice uh Good uh, anti COVID protocols, <laughs> you know to wear a mask, um, and social Thanks. distance.
1: Thank you so much, Sandra, and as regular shoppers at Central Farm Markets, we can attest to the care and precautions that they take at market. Everybody must wear a mask. They do ask for social distancing, and you can really enjoy and support these vendors and farmers at this incredibly necessary time and still shop safely. Um, Mitch and Deb and the team there have done everything they can to make it a very safe experience. So on that note, what I'd like to do is jump into Another thing that people are doing a lot of during this pandemic
0: that
1: is drinking. Uh, Go ahead. Well,
0: you can See, I was going to say, I was going to say that it used to be that when we introduced somebody from a distillery in D.C., we'd say this is the second distillery in D.C. since Prohibition and all that, but now there's a whole cluster of you guys. Um, tell us a little bit about filibuster and about your background in distilling.
3: Uh-huh. Excellent. Uh, thanks for having us on the show. Uh, so filibuster was born in D.C. Uh, and the reason why we say we were born in D.C. is because, uh, you know, we as the name suggests, the filibuster was supposed to be in D.C. But uh, when you start your project, it's the one thing. And when you put everything in on the paper, it's the other thing. So <laughs> filibuster reason why went on to Virginia, because whiskey is nothing but water, grain and yeast. Uh-huh. Uh, so where we are, uh, we sit on 80 feet of limestone water. Uh, that is the true to make a great whiskey. So that's the, that's the starting point. Um, so we wanted to be where there is good water and a good grain, uh, and grain you can almost buy from anywhere, but we wanted to buy the Virginia grain. Uh, the property where we buy from is, uh, is a watershed, you know, like they have a conservation on their, uh, property. So our grain comes from a one single farm, we know the farmer we know where he's coming coming from he where he is actually growing his grain um and our water so that's the reason why filibuster moved to virginia uh, you know to be a true to where we have a great water and a grain grain so grain,
1: the entire distilling process happens in virginia
3: yeah um we are very proud to say that we are are uh, grain to glass mm-hmm. everything is done under our eyes under our supervision mm-hmm. and is done uh, exactly the way we want you know?
1: well so let me ask you because you know as david mentioned i mean in the last you know we've been doing this show now for 12 years and in the last 12 years there has been an explosion of local distilleries in towns across america i mean it's a national trend right everything from Wiggle whiskey and in pittsburgh you've got kentucky and like you have all these you know amazing distilleries that opened what was it that you guys what was the hole you were looking to fill what was it that you wanted to put on the table that
3: you weren't seeing so we um i am been in i have actually been in the business about 12 years so we, we probably share the same birthday i would say mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yep. so uh it's about 12 years i have been into the business i started off uh, from a retail store uh mm-hmm. our family owns a retail store in washington dc uh, and so the, our, our next foray, when we looked at a bourbon shelf, so about six, seven, seven years ago, um, we look at the bourbon shelf. The whole bourbon shelf was corn, rye, barley, wheat, mash, pill, distill it, put it into bottle. Somebody would do a wax, somebody would not put a wax. So that was the entire bourbon market. But mm-hmm. when you look at the scotch on the other side, Scotch had this all great, amazing finishes, different barrel, different formats, different style of uh, wood using. So when we came up, I said, like, obviously, bourbon has a, a, a greater quality, which is corn using a corn. Corn brings up a lot of sweetness and it is at a natural vanilla caramel comes in. But bourbon can also use a couple of other ingredients and the formation are from these barrels to get a beautiful different kind of a finish of flavor. Um, so that's how the filibuster started off uh, with the dual cask is our proprietary way of doing our, our, our whiskeys.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, so our first product was filibuster dual cask finished in a wine barrel. Okay. That just bring back, that gave the whole element of that that tropical character into the bourbon. Um, so- so like,
1: did, you, did you partner with a specific winery? Was there somebody who you were like in Virginia, you were like, oh, this would, I love this wine. I want this finish. Did, was that where your head was at?
3: Yeah. First we started off, we started working with a Virginia winery uh, from Houghton Vineyards. Uh, that was uh, one of our first uh, finishes we did from uh, Houghton Vineyards. Mm-hmm. Um but but that um, the reason it didn't work very well, because Houghton Vignettes model was was a little different model. So we now we partnered up another California winery called Remy Wines. Mm-hmm. So we buy all our barrels from California from Remy Vignettes.
1: OK. And so when you do a dual cast on your bourbon, what's the process? Walk us through it a little bit. We have like two minutes.
3: Okay, um, so our processes will age into an American oak, which is uh, a charred oak barrel. Some of the listeners, I'm sure everybody knows what charred, right. So charred is. Right, and the
1: level of char, how far is your char?
3: Uh, we go as far as number three and number four char. So okay. that's an in- industry practice when we call it number three char, number four char. Mm-hmm. So if we are doing a 10-barrel batch, we will use six number three char and four number char. okay.
0: So, so a combination of three and four all right then, it, oh, oh i'm sorry well you know let's take a break now and come back because you guys are doing something very special for first responders that i want to make sure folks know about
1: okay this is david and nikki nellis or foodie and the beast we're getting our filibuster on we'll be back in just a sec
0: we're back on foodie and the beast with david and nikki nellis we're talking to sid Dilwari from filibuster distillery sid before the break i i you know i mentioned that you guys are doing something very special for first responders and their families uh, uh, and folks in the hospitality industry as well. You released a special 15 year old bourbon and why don't you tell folks about the bourbon and about what you guys are doing to help folks in our area.
3: All right, so our 15 years old the project, uh, we had those barrels uh, and we, whenever I used to look at barrels and say, what are we do- gonna do this with barrels? This is a great whiskey. So, as this pandemic hit, um, we sat down and figured out that you know this is where we will be doing uh, a charity project because um, this is one of those barrels to find 15 years old is very rare. Um, you know so we thought like this is the time where we can have these barrels out helping somebody. The whole idea of bringing that barrel was to help someone and mm-hmm. and what better way and what better time than this. To right. be a part of something where you can help somebody with a unique charity project, a unique project which is a fifteen years old bourbon, who we have for twelve years. You know, like we were literally uh, had that for so many years. Those barrels. Uh, so what we did was we sent those barrels for, I think, four, five different charities, mm-hmm. and the bottles were auctioned. Um, even we gave it to a Clydes group as well. Uh, they took a few bottles and they auctioned it. For their staff, uh, so that that was the whole point of that doing uh, that 15 That's years cool. old. There was only like a very, if I can, if I, my numbers are right, there about 100. It was only like 30, 62 bottles, 60 because there were two barrels. Mm-hmm. 52 or 62 bottles, uh, and which were, which was gone in a, in a win, and all that money went out to help uh, different charities uh, and auctions. Um,
1: You're good so, Sid, I want to, we only have a minute left and I, I don't want to squander it. Let's um, talk about where people can find your product and where people can come to the distillery and do, ta- like, how are you doing tastings now? What's happening there?
3: Um, okay, real quick one. Uh, so we have our distillery open on, um, uh, tasting rooms open on mon- uh, Thursday to Monday. Uh, mm-hmm. We're open 12 to 6. Uh, we have an outdoor, we prefer everybody to be outdoor we do tours uh, and the tastings we take people in uh, in a in a smaller group for our tour so they can try our mash pills and they can see the process and then we do the tastings as well uh, we have a wonderful staff there who exactly know what they're doing and but if somebody cannot make to the distillery we are uh, available in dc maryland delaware at all at quite a few stores if you go on our website you can find out the locations Mm-hmm. Where we can, where you can find all our products. Why and, don't you uh, give
1: website right now?
3: Fellowsuburban.com.
1: Excellent. So thank you so much for joining us today. Um, you have an a, an incredible array of products, and we can't wait to get a taste of them.
3: Thank you very much. Also, I think uh, as you asked about our uh, first responders, we did a hundred percent a free charity for everybody to come and get uh, sanitizers free, and we're oh. still doing it. So anybody who needs it. Please come by the distillery, and we're not charging anything for that. You are good people.
1: Thanks, Seth. Thank you so much. Up next, Stephanie Coppola of Bethesda. There's lots going on there.
0: All right, let's roll right into it. Stephanie Coppola is the Director of Marketing and Communications for the Bethesda Urban Partnership, and uh, they have been met with many challenges during COVID to keep retail and restaurants alive. How are you, Stephanie?
5: I'm doing great. We are hanging in there. How are you guys?
1: So Stephanie, for people who don't necessarily know what a bid or an urban partnership does, let's sort of talk pre-COVID for a second. Yep. What does Bethesda Urban Partnership do?
5: So our organization actually just celebrated our 25th anniversary in 2019. Mm-hmm. And um, we were created by Montgomery County, uh, specifically to market and maintain downtown Bethesda. So because Bethesda is not an incorporated city, even though it kind of looks like, a city, looks like um, a city. Yeah, and we've got, you know, tall buildings and lots of people and a great restaurant retail scene. So um, like bids all over the country, our job is to market the downtown, make sure people know about our restaurants and our retail shops and our arts venues, and just promote the city and get people coming to Bethesda to, um, you know, kind of live, work, and play in a nutshell and enjoy the downtown and what we have to offer. So, But that also involves regular activations right yes like, absolutely I mean. absolutely um for a long time we've been known for things like taste of bethesda downtown bethesda supports two major arts festivals which is unique most people just have one we have two um, we have art galleries that we manage um, you know 200 restaurants in our downtown um, mm-hmm. lots of people there and events throughout the year which we you know Aren't uh, currently having, but that is something we've often been known for.
0: And, but wait a minute—that's cr- you know I'm a Bethesda boy, born yes. and raised. <laughs> and uh, the fact that there are 200 restaurants in an area that's probably Ours, 30 our 30 our domain greater- is
1: about 300 acres. Amazing. Jeez. So COVID hits. Yes, you have a lot of people under your umbrella. I am yep. sure your phone blew up. <laughs> like help what do we do what are we doing yep Uh, you know
5: do you have with the governor's office like how did it work we work very closely with montgomery county as i mentioned we were created by montgomery county so we work closely with the county executive's office we work closely with our county council members um you know everybody wanted to help restaurants and small businesses as soon as we could so um you know we worked very closely with them We kind of immediately changed what our website looked like. It was a little more, here's information. Our email distribution was more, here are the links to the county information on COVID. You know, we kind of took the joy, unfortunately, down a little bit and we tried to be an information center. You know, we're considered essential employees by Montgomery County. So our job at the very beginning of COVID was just to help get the word out about, you know, Things like testing and, and rules for restaurants, and what are the rules for um, staying home right now? So we really just are—we're part of the county at the very beginning of COVID and helping to get information out.
1: And did the restaurants come to you and the retail and say we need help? Like, did they use you as sort of a a lobbying arm? Were they like, we need your help, your because of because of
5: your status, because of your voice? Yeah, I mean, I think were they able and- to buy that. Yeah. First and foremost, we worked closely with the restaurants to kind of hear from them what would be helpful and how we could help them. And it was immediately a, you know, how can we create more outdoor dining? Because as people slowly started to come out and and quarantines were lifted a little, little by little, um, you know, everybody said we, everybody was ready to come out of their house, but feels more comfortable being outside than inside. So that was kind of the very first thing we did was work with the um, County Department of Transportation to be able to close some roads in Bethesda and get some more tables and chairs outside. And that was the first thing we did. And that was launched at the beginning of June, um, the Bethesda Streetery to get more um, restaurants seating outdoors and to help the mm-hmm. restaurants get more customers who felt comfortable eating outside.
1: Well, and I think it's been very successful, right? I mean, yes. Exactly. I mean, are you, are you getting complaints from people who are like, there's no place to, are you getting <laughs> complaints? Because honestly, when I, When we walk through downtown Bethesda, Mm -hmm. I see the way everything is set up.
0: It looks great i'm like why would
5: you go back this yeah, is people are very pleased um and we at the very beginning um we also have staff there um all the time making sure we're cleaning the tables you know disinfecting uh-huh. them after every use so that was something that was important to us keeping the tables far apart um you know very strict in the beginning with only you know four people per table that's relaxed a little but we still try to not push tables too close together and and all of that kind of thing but no we're by and large, all the feedback has been extremely positive. People are very happy with it. Many people want to see it stay even beyond, um, you know, when things hopefully soon get back to normal. You know, they still want to see more outdoor dining. And this whole idea of an outdoor well, piazza,
0: European not, style, well, people really like me.
5: it. Yes. There's
0: two things. Number one, a lot of European cities have closed their old centers permanently to traffic except mm-hmm. for emergency vehicles. Yes. I mean, that's a much nicer way to walk through and enjoy Bethesda, frankly. I Absolutely. You know, Uh, there's a downside, but what happens when the cold weather hits to the streetery?
5: It's a question we're starting to get all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's a little bit we can do. Um, we've got some heaters coming, some outdoor propane heaters, which will help, you know, for a little bit. We hope, um, you know, we hope that gets us through the fall and obviously fingers are crossed for a beautiful fall. There's, you Mm -hmm. know, only so much we can do probably into the very, very cold winter, but our hope is, you know, we can have a good October, we can have a good November. A lot of the restaurants do have patio dining on their own, and they have heaters also. So, um, you know, we're just going to do as much as we can to kind of keep it going for as long as we can.
1: I think people are going to get creative. You know, even if you looked at just last, just last year in January, I mean, just because of what I cover, there Mm -hmm. were easily six, to 10 apres ski outdoor yes, happening did. around the city so yep. people were sitting out there freezing their tushies
5: in january yeah. and i think people want to be outside the one thing the streetery has really taught us is people are really enjoying coming together obviously at a safe social distance obviously outside but the feeling that you get when you walk through with us and obviously other parts in the whole area with these this type of outdoor dining i mean the sense of community just is going such a long way with people. I mean, we're getting so much positive feedback like, it's just so nice to see people out, you know, just to sit outside and have a glass of wine or a beer. Um, you know, the kids are going through on their skateboards and bikers are coming through uh-huh. and you know, there's kids on scooters and we've added, um, some live music, very low scale, like just one or two people, but to create that ambiance and give people this opportunity to, you know, even if you forget for an hour or two kind of what's happening in the world and you have a normal dinner experience, um, I think is really going a long way to lift people's spirits. And we're so happy to be able to do that. And, um, um, bring people together because that's you know it's not um, just helping local businesses; it's really helping people.
1: No, and I give you a total mission accomplished on that. <laughs> you know, since we live adjacent to Bethesda, we're there all the time, and it's uh, beautifully done, well executed, and and you. Uh, everything you try to execute happened. Well, so let's just we have about two minutes, we're going to So taste of Bethesda. Yeah. <laughs> How old, so that, is that thirty years old? How long have you guys? Uh, been-
5: yes, I think it, it was going to be over thirty years this year. I think last year was thirty. So, okay, um, so yes, thirty years. Taste yep. of Bethesda. It's one of the originals, right? It is it's one of the, the first-
1: biggest events in Montgomery County. Yep. Right, but like I think even for like a taste of a city, it's one of mm-hmm. the originals. Like yes. it's a, it's an innovator, and there you guys
5: go again, innovating um, by changing it up. So let's talk about what you did. Yes, so we would have um, loved to have had the event, but you can't get 45,000 people together right now. Um, so we just, you know, took a restaurant week concept. It's called Savor Bethesda. It goes from October 1st to the 11th. And um, it's not just lunch and dinner. We've got coffee shops participating and bakeries. You know, there's price points at $10, $20, $35. It is dine in or take out. So if you're not comfortable eating out, you can still get the deal with takeout. You can grab the food and bring it to the streetery. Um, You know, the idea is we can't do a one day event, but we still want you enjoying downtown Bethesda's restaurants. Uh, We have over 35 restaurants participating. So you can eat several times a day, somewhere different. You can help the restaurant community. You can enjoy great food. And, um, you know, like I said, we're doing it through October 11th. Well, and what I love about it is especially the snack concept. Yes. Like for
1: $10, you can go in and you have some great uh, bakeries and coffee shops yes. participating. Um, for those of you who are listening, you can go to my Insta story highlight and see Bethesda Saver. Um, I have pictures of almost all the restaurants uh, that are participating, and some of their stuff looks amazing.
5: Looks amazing. I've already eaten there a couple of times. Going to just we're going to continue to eat <laughs> for you're the right, next week and a half. Yep. Exactly. Okay. All right, so tell everybody, please, where they can get all the information. Yes, you can go to our website, which is Bethesda.org. The initiative is called Savor Bethesda. It goes through October 11th. So every day from now till um, next Sunday, you can get great deals. Um, All kinds of different restaurants are participating. So if you like Italian food, Mexican, the bakeries, the coffee shops, um, all kinds of delicious foods. So if you haven't tried something that you see on the list, please give it a try or go to an old favorite.
1: I love that and everybody does know that it's so important right now the restaurants are really struggling and as we get closer to colder weather it's going to be worse so anything you can do to participate to help uh an important uh, industry in this area would be great. Stephanie, thanks for your time today. Thank you guys, I really appreciate uh, it. Uh, this is David and Nikki Nellis at Fooding the Beast. When we come back, we're gonna stick with the bakery theme. We've got some sweets in our future. All
0: right, we're back on Fooding the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Um, I'm coming down off my sugar high long enough to introduce Connie McDonald and Pam Weeks who are the co-founders of Manhattan's celebrated Leval Bakery. They've got eight locations. Their eighth is in Georgetown, the first first outside of New York, first one outside. And I guess this winter is the 25th anniversary of the founding of all Congratulations on everything, guys.
2: Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you for having
6: us.
1: So it's really terrific to have you on. I'm a longtime fan. I've had your stuff up in New York before, and I think people have sent us gifts as well. Um, But I really would love to talk about how you guys got in the business. 25 years ago how you launched your first brick-and-mortar
0: By the way, no you, the audience can't see you but you both look like you're about 12. So So
4: Pam and I met back in the late 80s. We became uh, we were we met in a swimming pool um, swimming training um, We ended up training for triathlons. We became fast friends and we're still friends. That's yeah, I know that's kind of well, we always say that's our biggest accomplishment.
1: Old friends and business partners, and you're still friends and business partners. That's yeah. Yeah. lasted longer than two of his marriages. I, <laughs> I think that's well, a true. A true of a lot of marriages. I, yeah.
0: Well, there's three of them.
4: Because <laughs> we say it wouldn't really be much of a success story if we weren't still friends, right? It would be. It would be kind of sad. So that's that's our biggest accomplishment. So go ahead with this.
6: So we were. Swimming in a pool together, and we met a bunch of guys who were doing these triathlons, and they convinced us to join them. And fast forward through, you know, doing some shorter races, we got interested in longer races and um, decided to do an Ironman triathlon. So that involves a lot of training and a lot of time on the bike. And we discovered in getting to be better friends while training together that we both had aspirations of someday having our own business. So.
4: Never really think it was going to be a big thing.
1: So, um, I'm going to ask the obvious. How do you go from triathlon training, where you have to really be uh, regimented about your working out and what you're consuming? I mean, I know you need a lot of calories, but you. I mean, how did you go from that to let's make the
6: most unbelievable,
1: delicious confection that we can possibly come up with? Let's kill David Nellis with sugar.
6: (laughs) Well, I've always had terrible sweet tooth. So I have always found exercise to be a really good asset throughout my whole life because I can't stop eating dessert.
4: Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a great balance, right? It's like, you know, and actually we were making the cookies and what, you know, and we were using them kind of as we would kind of put pop them in the back of our bike shirts, you mm-hmm. know, and take them on a long ride and things. So um, that was that was kind of they were kind of a, a training partner in our in our Ironman training. So um, was your R and
1: D for the cookie, like, did you both have very specific?
0: Well, wait, wait Things wait. that you wanted. What? what was the first thing you developed? Was it the cookie?
6: Well, the cookie oh. we were making for ourselves before we started the bakery. Uh, And I think that we both, we were talking about this a minute ago, texture is so important, flavor and texture. So the chocolate chip walnut cookie is super satisfying. And we started making it the size that we make it because we found that to be really enjoyable because you've got a little bit of crispy outside and it's kind of softer and gooier inside if it's warm. So it's really satisfying. And And fun to share. Yeah, it's fun to share. I mean, are you oh, love supposed
0: to share it? Oh. <laughs>
6: Are you supposed to See, share that's it? that's
0: the problem. <laughs> that ain't ever going to happen around here. Oh,
6: <laughs> once in a while. OK. Yeah. So so we, that was the first thing. We, we were making that before we started the bakery. When we started the bakery, the bakery, we actually started out as a wholesale bread bakery. Um, and then when we found our first retail location on West 74th Street, uh, kind of, it was a random quiet day in the first month we were open and Connie was there alone and kind of bored and thought, let me make, you know, a batch of these cookies that we love and see what happens. So she made a batch, which literally was about 12 cookies and put them out and they sold that first day. And I was like, okay. And then the next day people came back in and were like, where are those cookies? So we were like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> maybe we should make some more. So is the bread bakery still
1: functioning or did you just let that go and keep with just the cookies
6: no we make bread still yeah Yeah. but but it's purely wholesale yes no wholesale it's all retail retail. retail. okay yeah yeah. and we make and bake everything freshly every day in each location and then what we don't sell at the end of the day we donate to local organizations and we've done that you know since pretty much day one 25 years ago Yeah.
1: Um, and then, okay, so you have these bakeries, you put out your first thing of cookies. How did you recognize that the cookie could be like the lift off business, right? Especially like when you think about like the nondies and the aughts and the cupcake craze, right? right. And, like, it was like cupcakes. So how did you, how did you work through all that?
4: We kind of let the, you know, our customers and the public kind of dictate what we did. You know, I mean, we still, as we were saying, make, the breads and a a variety of different things other than the cookies but frankly the cookies were what people were were demanding and lining up for and excited about and we were getting a lot of um editorial press a lot of interest like um on the food network and things and it was all about the cookie and you know quite frankly we were just happy that we were getting any lines any interest anything you know so that was great
0: yeah. i looking to give toys in the mouth, right? Exactly. Um,
1: so with your cookies, as you were developing each specific one, what were the textures? What were the flavors? What was it that you wanted to come through? Because let's be honest, I mean, you guys are in New York City. There's there's a lot of cookies. So yeah. Yeah. what was it that you were looking to do?
6: One thing that we always wanted to do when we started the bakery, even before the cookies, is like you said, there's so many amazing bakeries. And it's so much fun to go to all of them and try all of their products so we wanted to make things that we really loved that weren't easily accessible anywhere else or that we hadn't seen anywhere else so when we started making the cookies although a chocolate chip cookie is kind of classic you know we gave it our own spin Um, and one thing that we've been a little bit critiqued about over the years for a while is that Everything we made seemed to have chocolate in it, which we didn't think was true, but <laughs> we heard it. Oh, There's, exactly. a lot of <laughs> There's a lot of chocolate. It's so, a complaint. How dare me, you? I know. Yeah.
4: It
6: goes yeah. A problem? We didn't think it was a problem, but yeah. anyway, so we thought maybe after the chocolate chip walnut cookie, we should try an oatmeal raisin cookie because a lot of people, you know, like that. I mean, no judgment, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
4: I know exactly, but you know, in all honesty, our cookies are—they're really. I think that they're so widely liked because they're they're super simple, you know, and it's they're ingredients that everyone knows and loves, and they're really fresh. They're and they're just really simple, and they we try not to get too, you know, they're not no exotic ingredients and things. and it's very, you know, kind of what people classic. kind of
1: grew up with. Well, they're yeah. classic, except for the fact that they're they're well, they're big, but, but the size a lo- of a softball. But they're they're. <laughs> Moundish, you know what I mean? Yeah, it goes
6: right. Flat or spin. Yeah.
4: yeah. And that's what, you know, that that's what gives it that texture, that it does it well, does maintain that.
0: That's what I was gonna ask you. Are there imposters who in other words are, are there others who've seen what you're doing and have tried to replicate that? Uh, you know, uh, at
4: this point not, there not, are, yes. We've even yeah. had people tell us that they've done things like taking the throwdown with Bobby Flay that we did on the Food Network. And played it in slow motion to try to like break it down.
1: (laughs) So, you have eight stores in New York. Why come to DC?
4: Well, we actually have seven stores in New York, and DC is our eighth. So, um, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, you know, it was like we wanted to expand outside of New York. We felt like it was time, and we, we felt like We've been hearing from so many different people, like "come here, come there," and so DC was kind of a natural progression. It is, it's close to New York, but mm-hmm. it is it, it is a new market, and it's a market that we're really excited about. It's so young and active and lively and absolutely beautiful. I mean, mm-hmm. Georgetown is so mm-hmm. gorgeous. It's beautiful city. It yeah, really it's is. Yeah. And, and the space that we found is. It felt like the moment Look, that we know, saw where it. Was like, are. Where are you in Georgetown? We're on M, M Street, Street, right off yeah. Wisconsin. Oh my
6: okay, you're right on the corner.
4: On the yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so it's it's a beautiful, beautiful space. And,
6: and we we've looked at other cities as well because you know, we took a couple of years doing some exploration and when we saw the space in DC, we just thought this is this is perfect. And so you know, neighborhood of yeah, the
0: community. I mean do you come down here or do you have staff that you've trained and they're you know how does it work
6: well we've we've been down there of course and then we also have staff that has there's two um two women down there right now running the store who have been with us for a long time one of them's worked um pretty much side by side with me for 11 years is yeah that right yeah a long time so 11. i sometimes i tease her and say you know you're my mini me <laughs> um, <laughs> and then our gm has been with us for like three years yeah she's, she's worked in many different stores in the city she helped us open two or three of the new, new stores yep. in the city so you know and then we've got a couple of people who actually Wanted to relocate down there um, who've who worked at the bakery, bakers, and um, customer service staff. So,
4: what an opportunity, right? To yeah. be able to relocate. We have wow. a,
6: a lot of amazing people that we've found in DC who wanted to come work at the bakery. So, we have amazing people. It's a great staff. Yeah.
1: That is great. And yeah. just quickly, because we only have about a minute left, sure. uh, you've also, you were either launching or you've launched
4: the, the dough frozen. Yeah, yeah, it's a fully baked cookie that is frozen. So okay. you, it, yeah, so,
6: yeah. It's, it's a little bit, it's two ounces. So it's for, for some people, possibly a better serving size. <laughs> uh, they're fully baked, they're, they're frozen, and you can just, I personally pull them right out and like them cold, but you can pop them in your oven for a few minutes and they're just like what you'd get at the bakery. they amazing. Yeah,
4: we're so excited about it because it is so good. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times what you what you might get in the grocery store might not be kind of what people are hoping or expecting. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone's going to be so excited about it. And so, yeah, we just launched in central market um, in Texas Mm -hmm. and whole foods um, Northeast. Northeast. So my, my sister just bought some in Fairfield, Connecticut, so she was really excited. Yeah. Well, congratulations! Thank you. On that note,
1: let's just tell everybody again you can, you know, order online, obviously. Yes. And now people in DC can actually go to the actual bakery. Just tell everybody where you are again, uh, physically, and where we can find you online.
4: Okay, physically, in Georgetown, we're at 3131 M Street Northwest, which is almost at the corner of Wisconsin. Yeah, and online. online, you
6: can find us at lavenbakery.com. And you can order beautiful gift packages of cookies in multiples of four to 12, and they make great gifts.
1: They are great gifts. Thank you both for joining us today. Congratulations. Thank you, thank
6: you so much for having
1: us.
0: One last suggestion. Your second D.C. area location should be Kensington, Maryland. No, it shouldn't. We live...
1: <laughs> okay. Anyway, thank you. <laughs> thank, Alice. you. thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. This is David and Nikki Nellis. Foodie in the Beast. When we come back, we're gonna be drinking some tea. Hey
0: everybody, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. And now we are gonna talk the best tea in the world. We're joined by Shunan Tang, who is founder of Tea Drunk. And we I don't know if you knew this, but my wife probably is the world's greatest tea connoisseur and tea drinker. I am
1: not a tea connoisseur. You are. I would never say that
0: <laughs> at all, but
1: I I I am a huge, huge tea drinker and have been for well over 20 years. So um, I'm so excited, Shanon, to have you with us. Welcome.
7: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the show.
1: So tell us a little bit about Tea Drunk, the concept, how you came up with it. Give us some background.
7: Yes. um, So Tea Drunk specializes in traditional Chinese tea. And because China has the longest history of tea, Uh, harvesting and producing tea. So currently, really the world's best teas still come from China. And I grew up drinking tea um, when I moved to New York City, I was just so fascinated with the city having um, basically everything. Uh, at the same time, I was very disappointed that the city has everything does not have Chinese tea. Um, so that's when I first had inspiration. I was like, I need to change that. I need to open a tea house.
1: Wait, I have to stop you for a second. So even in Chinatown, there was no Chinese tea houses?
7: Um, it's not the same. Okay. Um, yeah. So even in Chinatown, there are actually... Uh, at least in New York City at the time, there was no uh, Chinese tea houses. Um, There are plenty of bubble tea places or places that sells herbal tea, but it is not the same as tea that's made from the actual tea plant. Um, So it's very similar to like wine made from the actual grapes versus um, you can call like plum wine, uh, apple wine, also wine, but it's not like really like the wine wine.
0: So everything was derivative? Uh, Yes, yes, exactly.
7: So how did you
1: go about uh, bringing in these teas and educating the public on the teas?
7: Yes. um, So um, the tea house idea kind of really comes with uh, how do I um, make people, uh, you know, enjoy and aware of the teas of this caliber. So there's no greater way to introduce people to tea than kind of like an in-person tea experience. Um, So every year I actually go to China to uh, really get my hands dirty and participate in the harvesting and the making of the tea. So I spent about two to three months in China every spring, and I travel to about 15 to 20 mountains, tea mountains. Um, it's all over China. So I really just kind of go, uh, you know, like zigzag my way the, the whole uh, second half of the country. And then. Um, and it would bring the uh, selected teas here to America. So uh, we sell the loose leaf teas, but Chinese, we also uh, brew tea in a very unique style called Gongfu tea. I see that it's becoming increasingly popular in the States in the recent years. So um, the tea house really acts kind of like a, um, uh, almost like a, a presentation stage for people to uh, experience and then see how uh, the Gongfu style of tea brewing and drinking is really is.
1: Well, so let's back up a second. So when you go to China, much like grapes, there's a terroir with, uh, you know, the vines, are there places that you're going to in China for the tea? I mean, China is a massive, massive country with all sorts of patterns. So are there areas that you're going to, 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 to buy your tea? and, And then do you create blends? How does, how does that work?
7: Yes, um, definitely. So, um, China is one of the largest tea-producing countries in the world right now. Um, however, the teas that we select actually only represent less than 0.0 uh, percent of the teas that's produced. It's a very special kind of teas uh, These are all teas that come from traditional towar. So it actually is the official uh, designation in China called the historically famous teas. So these are the teas that not only... Uh, the land has been producing tea for a really long time, but the produced tea from these lands have been heavily endorsed by uh, famous people in the past. We consider this almost like the celebrity effect of the uh, the the dynasty time, so the emperor, like a famous poet, artist they all like uh, came out and say that this is my favorite tea and then everybody wanted the tea. So because of this kind of generation by de- generation of endorsement, this uh, land became particularly well known for a particular kind of tea. Um, so this is the kind of tea the tea drunk really specialized in. Um, so tawar is very important. And when people think of towar for tea, um, I think sometimes there's some misunderstanding. Um, the source of tea is actually very, very similar to wine, where things can get super, super specific. So um, let's say uh, two villages share one mountain top um one side of the mountain top belongs to one village and that tea can sell double the price than uh the other village which is just next door to it um and this is because there might be some small changes that have already happened in the world such as like the direction to the sun uh the wind the slight temperature difference um uh the slope the angle uh the drainage and all these kind of things
0: mm-hmm. well talk a little bit about the trees too because you mentioned in your materials that some of the trees are 600 to 800 years old. So what kind of uh, tender loving care do the trees get and need, uh, I mean, to be kept, you know, to be kept not just alive that long, but productive that long?
7: Right. Um, so in China, um, because there's, you know, a long history of producing tea. And uh, granted, there are tea regions that once upon a time produced tea, but that activity didn't continue, and uh, they got revived from time to time. So um, a lot of these kind of historical tawars do have a lot of really old tea trees, and ironically, um, the... Uh, Older tea trees are more clearly identified in regions that have gaps of the tea activities. Because if it had continuous tea activity, it's actually harder to identify which ones are older ones, which ones are not, because the activity just being keep going on. But in uh, one of the regions. Uh, where, uh, it's in Southeast China, a uh, Southwest China called Yunnan. Uh, there's a famous Puer teas are from. A lot of these mm-hmm. tea trees were, uh, really leftover tea trees from, uh, a massive tea and horse trading during the uh, Qing and Ming dynasty, which is about 200 to 600 years ago. So, um, uh, these tea trees, actually the oldest tea tree, uh, found in the region was over 850 years old. Um, and the people are often surprised that tea trees can live that long. Is because um, tea trees naturally, they're actually evergreens, and they can grow um, in the forest, become completely self-sustainable, just like a pine tree would. Um, So a lot of these tea trees, once they pass this threshold, they really don't need human care. They can just uh, be on their own and, uh, you know, compete for their own resources with other trees in the forest. And um, we don't need pesticides, we don't need fertilizer, and things like such. The common scene that people usually see in tea marketing material, where there are rows and rows of tea tree just endlessly lining up a hillside, that's actually very unnatural. Mm-hmm. Uh, in tea drunk, we don't have any teas like that. Those are actually monoculture. And uh, every time, actually, when I see those tea trees, I also have the um, image of the scene in Matrix, where you know people are just like being. Um, up. In one of those, uh, oh I was like, oh, it's just like that. Like, you know, we're breeding you know, these tea trees that's not naturally supposed to grow like that. Well, so when you go
1: to Tea Drunk or you order one of your kits online, what what is it that arrives for people? And, and what is the experience?
7: Uh, yes. yeah. So um, if people order teas online, we have several different kinds of products. So people can purchase any individual teas. We have very detailed descriptions about the toir, the cultivar, um, the processing of each of the teas. People can purchase them by a sampler size or uh, roughly an L size. Um, if, you know, people are having decision crisis because we have quite a selection, we also have many samplers ready as well. And for those who uh, really want to get into the educational side of tea, we have an educational tea club. So people can, uh, it's a monthly subscription. Um, and every month we send people two different kinds of teas and it consists of two units of the two different kinds of teas. Uh, and we actually, uh, host two guided tastings on the teas each month. And the people will also receive, uh, um, a PDF version of the, uh, uh, information cards about the teas as well. Uh, we sometimes also have, you know, exclusive, um, Educational seminars just for the Tea Club members. Um, we people can also gift the Tea Club as well. So you can also, uh, you know, make a predetermined uh, land like three months, six months, and it doesn't the payment doesn't have to be recurring uh, if you want to gift somebody the Tea Club. There's also the Tea Crash Course. The Tea Crash Course really is something that we started um, during the pandemic because a lot of our customers like, "Oh, we can't come to Tea House anymore. What do we do?" Mm-hmm. Um, so the Tea Crash Course is just uh, uh, feature system, the most uh, common and representative styles of teas, And uh, we actually have the videos posted on YouTube and Instagram. So even if you don't um, want to get the teeth yet, feel free to go browse the videos and then see.
1: Sorry, we have to wrap you up because the show is. Okay. So can you tell everybody, please, where they can find you online and on Instagram?
7: Yes. So the website is uh, t drunkcom So it's T-E-A hyphen D-R-U-N-K dot com. Okay. And the Instagram is at t-drunk. Excellent.
1: Great. Thank you for your time today. We was, can't wait. Thank you. thank you so much. Yes, thank you. And we want to thank you, our guests, for joining us again today for another delicious show of Foodie and the Beast. I do want to let you know that yesterday launched – the Real Fun DC platform, where uh, my second show, Industry Night, is now featured Tuesday at 7. You can catch me talking to uh, Sean Townsend and Kathy Hollinger and Jill Tyler. We're talking about what's happening now with COVID in the DC market. Um, again, we want to thank you all for joining us. Uh, find out everything on the list. Are you on it?.com. Socially distance, wear a mask,
6: use hand sanitizer, be safe, and please have a delicious week.